Welcome to Lit, a podcast dedicated to life, liturgy, and the pursuit of holiness. I'm Bryn. And I'm Justin, and we're coming to you from beautiful Austin, Texas. Where each week we're talking about liturgy in everything from daily living to following Christ. It's good to be with you all today. Back, Welcome back to Lit. Bryn, how are you doing today? I am doing pretty well today. It's a, uh, we woke up to a beautiful, crisp fall morning uh, with low temperatures, and uh, that means I got to turn the heater on. It was the first day that we turned the heater on. So I call um, this a winter day, not a crisp <laughs> fall day. You people from Utah may think of this as fall. I call this frigid. Yeah, well, to give you some perspective, I think it was 46 when I woke up this morning. Yesterday, my mom texted me and said it was 17 degrees when they woke up in the morning. So, Dear sweet Jesus, that's cool. I know. I can't handle that. This is about as low as I like it to go. Yeah, this is very similar to South Georgia where I'm from. Latitudinally, I think Austin and where I'm from are almost on the same line. But the weather here just swings. Yesterday, what, we were 78. Today, we're 46. Yep, yep. Good gracious. How are things at your house? Good? Well, you know, um, it's the middle of a pandemic still. So, uh, you know, things are going okay. Uh, Everyone goes to work and school here at home. And uh, we have lots of time to be with each other. The delightful thing in my family, though, is that my oldest son has come back to visit because he's here to get his driver's license um, before he goes back to uh, to be with his grandparents where he has has been living. Um, And uh, it's uh, I know we're going to talk about the the daily office today. And I have my own little joyful daily office moment. Last night, when I went to bed, I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to wake you up at six o'clock when I get up to, to say my prayers. Um, you going to get up and pray with me? And he said, mom, I'm going to be asleep. I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, but a few minutes later, he came into my room and he said, I'll get up and pray with you if you make coffee. So I got up this morning turned the heater on, grabbed my blanket, made coffee, and then I got to say the daily office with my my sweet son. That's I can only hope that my my two and a half year old and my twelve week old will grow up to be as disciplined as that. Uh, as disciplined as me or as disciplined as my twenty year old son. Both 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 <laughs> the twenty year old and you. Yeah, I think there's good there's a good thing there. There's a good role model there. But I have to say, I get to your point, I, we're already with our my toddler Linux, we're already shaping we're not doing, you know, obviously we're not doing morning prayer and evening prayer, but in the morning we pray when he wakes up. In the evening we pray before he goes to bed. So he's getting this habit and now he's to the point where if we don't do it, he asks us to like. Also at mealtime, every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, if, if we all sit down, which we try to eat together as much as we can in this day and age, in this country, as much as we can, mm-hmm. yep. but if we're all sitting there and, he, and we don't stop and pray, he'll, he'll reach his hands out and say, hold hands, pray. <laughs> so we've create, we're creating those habits, which I know is forming him somehow in ways that I probably can't even imagine. So I, I, I appreciate you and your son having that moment this morning me being yeah. a good 18 years behind, um, 17 years behind, but I can see the the seeds of that, hopefully. Well, I, I have to say it was an unexpected but delightful moment. 
Um, I don't think that he on his own has ever woken up and said the daily office, but uh, you know, maybe, maybe these patterns will be set down for him so that someday he'll choose to do that on his own. Yeah. And I guess too, this kind of reminds me of my own personal prayer life. Cause I, I, we both obviously went to seminary. We're both clergy. I went to a predominantly Methodist seminary at Emory and you went to Virginia, correct? No. Swanee, excuse me. Oh my gosh. No, Southwest. No. I went to Berkeley Divinity School at Yale. Or that. (laughs) Or that. I don't know why I had you in Virginia. Actually, that was my honest answer. The other ones were more to just tick you off. Oh, I missed that by a long shot. So so I went to Emory, so we probably had a little bit of a similar experience. Although we had daily office, all the Anglican, all the Episcopal students were supposed to show up. Yeah, morning, we did evening too. in the chapel, morning, yeah. evening in the chapel, which we did because you would actually it affected your grade at the very yeah, least. Yeah, exactly. Because you'd wake you'd up, call your bishop if you didn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all sorts of repercussions for that. But ever since I've been ordained, and I've noticed this with a lot of clergy, not everybody does the daily office like they're supposed to. And the thing that I wanted to say about that is, for a long time after I left seminaries, I was trying to get into the rhythms of of working life, which is going to sound like an excuse. I'd fall out in and out of the habit of the daily office. And every time I'd fall out of it, I usually fall into some other kind of prayer routine. Uh, for a long time, I would do the Jesus prayer, meditative prayer. And I would mm-hmm. carve out time in the morning and evening to do that. Might even pray over one text in the scripture. But one of the things I had to really fight was the guilt and the shame when I'd hear other clergy say, I've been reading the daily office every day of my whole life. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> daily office shaming that goes on. And then my point of sharing that is that I believe that the daily office is important. We're going to get to this a little later in this episode, I think. But we also can't shame ourselves and feel bad. It takes time to build a habit and you can destroy that habit. And actually, let me rephrase that. You'll feel like you're destroying that habit, but I don't think any of my departures from the daily office were destroying my habit of the daily office. Because every time I came back, I came back more enhanced, more alive, more tuned into it and saw it in a way I didn't see it prior to my leaving. All that to say is I think, as we've been saying through this whole podcast, and I can, I can see it in my own life, and maybe that's what I'm seeing in Lennox's life and in Brooklyn when she gets a little older, is our spirituality and our growth is a journey. It's not, not everybody's going to take the same highway, the same road. Mm-hmm. And we need to be okay with that. And, and it's really hard in this day and age. Don't compare yourself to other people. Don't look at them and say, gosh, I wish I prayed as much as she or he does. Oh, yeah. And I do this with you all the time. I always think, I'm like... That our listeners probably don't know this, but I'm sitting there going, Bryn's so holy. I need to be holy like Bryn. <laughs> and, uh, and I think we have a tendency to do that. We find those qualities. We idealize another person and we assume they're doing all these things perfectly, which you might be. In actuality, they're just like us on a journey, you know, and we have to remember that and give everybody grace and permission to, to be on their own journey. Um, yeah. Prayer. Well, this this points out that I need to work harder to let you uh, see the real me, <laughs> to dissuade you of 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 that uh, impression. But you know, I think it's I think it is important to to say that, especially as we're starting to talk about something that has to do with forming a daily habit and forming a practice um, using something like the daily office, because it's it you know, it ultimately is about a pattern of, of living, um, for us. Um, and so I think it is really important to say that it, 
we have a different relationship with it at different times in our life and we come in and out of it. And when I was in seminary, we had a very similar expectation, like what you talked about. We had daily morning prayer um, uh, with the Episcopal or Anglican students at 7.30 in the morning and we had to be there. I had a family when I was in seminary, so I got a, a little bit of uh, leeway and, and didn't have to be there every single day. Um, but, you know, I graduated and my first job, we, we, I was a school chaplain. And so we had essentially morning prayer every single day. Um, and then I went to church on Sunday. So I had this kind of daily practice of, of prayer, but I definitely didn't have, I didn't make that practice my own practice until probably just a few years ago, maybe three years ago. Um, and by then I'd been, you know, ordained for <clears throat> four or five years already. So um, it took a while before this became the actual um, habit for me and part of my routine in my life that it is now. Now, what year, just so I don't think I know this about you, or maybe I do, it's probably somewhere in my brain, because I think I do know the real you from our time doing the gathering of the leaders. That was where all the, <laughs> that's where all the all the clergy gathered for one of those. That's where all oh, the that's fun. comes down. Yeah. So you were ordained in what year? I was ordained in 2013. In the Diocese of? Diocese of Utah. Utah. And I was mm-hmm. ordained in 2010 in the Diocese of Georgia. Okay. So that's our, our kind of background. So the daily office, we've talked a little bit about how it means, uh, what it means to us and kind of our journey with it a little bit. Um, and we're going to come back to that, I think. But let's talk about where this comes from, this whole regimen of daily prayer. Yeah. So it goes way back, uh, goes way back actually um, to the Psalms, uh, to the Jewish prayer hours, if you will. Um, and in Psalm 119, you get a lot of images of praying at different points in the, in, during the day. And you get this quote, I prayed seven times a day. Seven times a day, I praise you, it says. Uh, and there's also uh, quotes around, in the morning, I offer you my prayer. At midnight, I will rise and thank you. Evening, morning, and noon, I will cry and lament. Um, and then also in the book of Acts, we hear the apostles are observing some form of Jewish custom of praying. Mm-hmm. and reference to the third, sixth, and ninth hours and at midnight. And this is in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 16. All that to say is this pattern of daily prayer, one, precedes Jesus, two, is enhanced mm-hmm. uh, after Jesus in a, in a very monastic, committed prayer life of a group of people together. Um, Benedict of Nursa is the one we think of as, as putting together the hours as we know them today. Um, mm-hmm. When he formalized eight times of prayer, seven during the day, one at night. Um, and he probably being a pupil of John Cashin and John Cashin being somebody who intentionally went to the desert, uh, the desert time in the first couple hundred years of the Christian church um, where really monasticism was forged. So these are people just so you have a sense of the desert uh, these are people who retreated from society to work on themselves. Oftentimes they did it in community. That's the irony of the desert. We think all these people were sitting out by a cactus by themselves. But in actuality, they just left cities and congregated areas mm-hmm. with groups of people. And then they forged these kind of rules of life, these, these ways of governing 
how they, they come together. Uh, for example, I, if I'm not mistaken, Brent, Incarnation has a rule of life that yep. your members are kind of subscribing to and trying to live into to kind of yeah. bond you together. So it was very similar in the desert. And in that, they had a prayer routine. And we assume John Cashin absorbed some form of that prayer that was probably carried over from the apostles, from Judaism, uh, into the into that monastic movement. And then Benedict of Nursa, the father of monasticism and monasteries, the way we think of them. A lot of times if I say monastery, you have an image in your mind. That's a lot of what Benedict brings, St. Benedict brings. And of course, everybody knows I say everybody knows. I shouldn't say things like that. Maybe we've heard of the Benedict rule of life. And in that rule is this habit of daily prayer, which he formed Mm -hmm. into these eight slots, seven during the day, uh, one at night. And they go like this. So the one at night is matins. Generally, that's considered the vigil. You're up at 2 a.m. for that. Then you have lauds right around five, prime. It's in the early morning, maybe around six or a little later, terse mid-morning, sect, midday, around noon, nun, mid-afternoon, and then vespers in the evening, and then compline being the last thing which would be accomplished in his mind around 7 p.m. and you would go straight to bed, partly because you had to get yourself up yeah. in the morning. So imagine when we all complain about getting up at five in the morning, <laughs> these folks were getting up at two or around two, two to three, somewhere in that, that, that uh, neighborhood to begin this habit of prayer. And the prayer, I think what's important uh, in this historical structure, and then I'm going to kick it over to you, Brent, to talk about how this plays out in our prayer book. But the one thing I want people to remember is it wasn't wake up and do matins and go back to bed. The prayer was intertwined in the daily work and life of mm-hmm. the monks and nuns. So you prayed all throughout your daily activity, whatever those activities are. Yeah. Whatever they were, you would pray right through them. So in some ways, uh, if I may draw a comparison without opening too much of a can of worms, you will see, I, I've, been, I've had the gift of being able to travel. Maybe you've seen this too, Bryn. Uh, but at different points in airports, I will see Muslims who will mm-hmm. stop and pray throughout the day. So yeah. many world religions have these intentional moments of prayer, and, um, and we do as well. So the idea is that these monks and nuns would stop what they were doing and engage in that, that moment of prayer and then pick right back up. Yeah, and They were constantly living this life, this rhythm of prayer and work, prayer and work. So prayer was very much wrapping around their daily activities. Yeah. Well, and the Latin term for that is the ora et labora. Our work is our prayer. Um, and that, I, th- I think, emerged from, from Benedict also um, and from those Benedictine communities and then other monastic communities that, that came after Benedict, the Cistercians. Um, you know, now we have lots. We've got Trappists. There's Franciscans. There's Jesuits. Um, you know, uh, lots of Benedictines still. Um, and they all, um, they all have their own practice of, of saying daily prayers and of working and incorporating those things together. I think one of the things that's interesting about that is um, we think of monastic communities and, and monks and nuns as being really far removed from the rest of society 
uh, and that what they do is is somehow really exceptionally different. Um, and I think, in fact, if we look at their daily routine and what they can show us about how to live with God and live with each other um, through prayer, it's not all that different. You know, they still, they had work. Um, monks did not just sort of sit around and, and pray. They had work to do. Uh, and different monastic communities were known for different types of work. Um, thanks to the Trappists, we have great Belgian beers, um, a, a big favorite of, of mine and my husband's. Um, the Benedictines, uh, their work was hospitality and taking people in and caring for, for people, travelers sometimes, um, caring for, um, you know, the poor and, and those who needed extra help. So these were laborers and they incorporated this prayer and this routine of prayer into their daily lives. Um, they didn't stop what they were doing to pray, um, they they were working and praying as kind of simultaneous things. So they uh, in the monastic um, world, your work is your prayer and your prayer is your work. So it's, you know, where does one begin and the other end? Who knows? I think that's that's something I aspire to in my in my spiritual life is to have those things so integrated that it doesn't feel like a separation, but that it feels like things moving one into another. And this is why I think you're holy. (laughs) But uh, a little factoid, going back to your whole point about them being workers, and I think I have this correct. Everybody can Google check me on this one. But the Cistercians, one of their main things they brought to their communities, besides wine, uh, which we can't really blame monastic. I mean, wine was going on long before monastics uh, really appeared on the stage. But one thing they brought were modern water projects, clean water. Oh, mm-hmm. The way they built their monasteries, most of the communities in and around their monasteries never had a lot of waterborne illnesses or diseases because of the way they designed water to flow through. So they worked very hard to bring clean water, running water. Imagine, um, I mean, this is the image we all want to think of in, whenever you listen to this podcast, but running water for your toilet uh, underneath the toilets, uh-huh. that was all Cistercians. Before that, I mean, short of the Roman Empire, that wasn't a real common thing. Yeah. Um, after the Roman Empire collapsed of clean water, they brought a lot of that back and had a lot of healthier communities in and around their monasteries. It's a little factoid for you if you end up on Jeopardy. Right. And if you need to look up the root uh, or history of the of a cistern, which is a well, right? Well, there you go. There you go. Yeah. I never actually made that connection, Miss Holy. <laughs> also, and I don't know what what monastic communities in particular were were um, known for this. I know that the um, that St. Clair um, certainly spent much of her life doing this, but it was religious people who created hospitals and, um, you know, people who, uh, had means and who were wealthy didn't need to go to a hospital. They had doctors who came to them and they were able to be cared for in their own homes and whatnot. Hospitals were really, they were places for people who were desperately ill and who did not have care or help. Um, otherwise, and it was religious people who created the whole institution of a of a hospital, so that 
people would have a place to be cared for in their illness. And of course, you know, back then a hospital wasn't a place you went to to get well. It was a place you went to to be cared for until you died on us, you know, uh, yeah. oftentimes. So you could die well with dignity. Yeah, and so that you were surrounded by prayer and you were in a in a holy place. I mean, a hospital was a holy place. And there's still, you know, there's a, a long tradition of, of religious institutions running hospitals. Um, now that's, you know, this is a can of worms. Now that's become privatized and their institutions run by corporations and, and whatnot. So, um, but we still have many hospital systems that, that are religious, that have religious roots. And all around the world, you know, we think of it, as you alluded to in our country, we have a certain system, you know, we, we're in a capitalistic market. Um, so it looks a little different, but you can go around the world and still see kind of that historic model, particularly in developed and underdeveloped countries where churches are, or religious, I wouldn't say always churches, a lot of times churches, but religious folks who have forged, uh, take, oh, here's a great, this is one all Episcopal priests talk about, Mother Teresa, she basically brought mm-hmm. hospitals to areas where there was no medical care to speak yeah. of. And that's still going on, not just in her legacy, but that was going on. There's other folks like Mother Teresa doing that all around the world. So, so yeah, you're right. I mean, th- this is still happening. Um, our system may look a little different in this country um, by virtue of who we are and where we are, but uh, in other places it looks different and mm-hmm. uh, churches are still involved in, in a very real way. Mm-hmm. As y'all can tell, probably Brent and I, one are very close and two can talk about this all day long. We can talk about oh, saints yeah. all day long, but maybe we should shift Brent and maybe this is your bailiwick. I think, um, maybe take what take this kind of seven times a day and what does that look like in our prayer book? What, what does that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. So we're going to, you know, this is the, the first episode of, uh, you know, um, a, a few episodes that we're going to be doing talking about the daily office. So this is this one, we're just giving a kind of general overview of what's going on. What's the history of this? Um, you know, what is the daily office? And then we're going to jump into, uh, in the next few episodes, we're going to jump into more specifics about, um, about morning prayer, about evening prayer, and about um, the, the other um, sort of minor offices in here. But just to give a, a, a little bit of um, specifics about where we're going to be going with that then, the daily office is, uh, as Justin talked about, we've got these... Um, seven, eight, if you count um, the vigil service, um, but seven times a day to pray. When the architects of our prayer book, the Book of Common Prayer, or what started out as the English prayer book, um, you know, when they put this together, it was meant for people who did not live in monastic communities and who were going to be either praying this in their church or in their homes. Um, and with the recognition that those folks were probably not going to get up and pray at two o'clock in the morning, and then again at five o'clock in the morning, and then again at seven, and then at nine. Um, and so what they did was they combined elements of those different prayer services, those early morning prayer services, and then those mid-afternoon and evening prayer services, and put those together into a couple of principal services. So the principal services of the daily office are morning prayer and evening prayer. But we also have these little small services of noonday prayer, 
um, and of Compline. Um, you know, noonday prayer obviously happens in the in the afternoon sometime. And then Compline is is still intended to be prayer that you say at the end of the day, kind of right before you go to bed. So that might be seven o'clock for you. Um, might not be until nine o'clock, might not be until one o'clock in the morning that you are saying, you know, those prayers at the very end of the day. Um, and so we'll get into more specifics about what is in those prayers. Um, but that's the that's the sort of um, broad swath of of what we mean when we're talking about the daily office um, in the Book of Common Prayer. But what I want to talk about, too, as we as we wind down is what does this mean for us and how does this shape us? How does the daily office shape our, our spiritual lives? How does this shape our relationship with God and with each other? For me, uh, as I alluded to earlier, having a regular rhythm of prayer that the daily office provides to me grounds me where I'm supposed to be. Or reminds me. That's what my brother says. So my brother's a doctor in Tennessee. He's actually an interventional cardiologist. So he prays a lot in between cases and procedures that he's doing. And he probably has actually arguably has a better, right at this particular moment, we, we were very competitive, but at this particular moment, he probably has a better habit of the daily office than I do uh, because I've been doing uh, something a little bit different, more meditative and a lot of scripture-based reflection. But what he always said is it grounds him and reminds him that he is a citizen in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, and that, that he has a responsibility to bear this love and, and grace that God's bestowed upon him out onto the world and onto each case. And he'll tell you, not everybody he's going to work on or has to see in clinic that he wants to see. Like, you know, he's like everybody, he's a human being, but the daily office keeps him centered on what's like, he'll say what's really important. What's really his focus. And if he does, and he's noticed days where he's, he's been tired or he slipped, he, he loses his focus, not in being a doctor. Like he yeah. doesn't jeopardize his patient care, but he doesn't, he feels kind of lost. Mm-hmm. You know, he does feel like he's, he's kind of floating and not anchored. So I, I've always, I mean, whenever he tells me that, I'm always kind of like, yeah, I can, I can relate to that. Cause it does kind of puts things that for me, it, the, the rhythm of prayer, and I think maybe this is what the monastics were getting at. It gives you perspective. Yeah. And it let, when I look out, like I'm sitting here in Austin, Texas, I over, I happen to overlook in my church office, Lake Travis, our whole church does. Mm-hmm. I'm looking right now at this fog coming up off the lake on this cold 46 morning. And, uh, and I'm just, I'm just seeing this beauty of God's creation and sitting here thinking as we're having this conversation and thinking about prayer how beautiful this is what God has gifted us with. And prayer kind of lets me stop and appreciate that. Just one thing, you know, this is not everything that happens in prayer, but for me, it gives me my focus back on, on someone who's, who's a beloved child of God. And then I'm going to interact with a lot of other beloved children of God and prayer helps me remember that mm-hmm. and reminds me of that. Mm-hmm. I love that image of being welcomed back by it. And I think those are two things that have become really important to me about the daily office and having a regular practice of praying the daily office. One is that perspective that you talked about. That's so, that's so well put, Um, you know, having that perspective that we are citizens of the kingdom of God first and foremost, and we go out into this world 
um, you know, living lives that matter and that are important, um, you know, as they are worldly, but also knowing that we, we belong to something greater than what we can see here. And that perspective, um, I, I feel like the daily office really grounds me in that perspective. Um, and then that welcome back into something that you can always come home to is, has been for me a, a really great significance, especially in times that have been difficult. Um, you know, when there's been upheaval, when, when there has been crisis or, or, you know, even just sort of malaise, um, knowing that the daily office, um, no matter how long I've been away from it, um, it didn't change while I was gone. And it will welcome me back to to start again any time I come back to it. Um, you know, I think about the very beginning of the pandemic when things sort of shut down all at once and we were so shaken by this uncertainty and the, you know, we didn't even know exactly what to be afraid of, um, but we knew that things were changing. and immediately my community decided to start praying the daily office together. Um, and when we first started, we were actually doing it um, five days a week. Um, we were already doing it on Sunday mornings as, uh, as our worship um, with communion. But, you know, we started saying, saying the daily office and praying together, um, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and we've, grown into a, a regular pattern of having evening prayer on Monday and Wednesday. And now we've got a Compline service on Friday. So we've got, you know, four services where we're praying that. And it just was such an important thing for me um, to have that stability and know that our community could come together around that kind of stability. I think that's just a, an example of what the daily office offers for all of us. I don't disagree. I think that's the beauty of it, right? So one of the things that I've always been impressed by is you sharing your story, me sharing mine, similar but different. And if we were to pull together five other people, the perspectives and the, and the personal experience of doing the daily office will be so powerful. And that's why I think for me too, one of the things I want to make sure I say is, and we've definitely done a really good job of talking about the individual benefits of a daily prayer habit, but also if you're gifted with the opportunity as you were this morning with your son, mm -hmm. as you can be in community to, to read the daily office together with a group of people. And then one of the things my, one of my first spiritual directors ever, ever told me to do, is once you're done praying, if you have five, 10 minutes with that group, reflect on the experience of it and really listen mm. to each other. Mm -hmm. Because that's what I think starts to shape our, our, our kind of patterns. It's, it's like, it, to me, take it, take, this is probably a bad metaphor, Bryn, but you know, I know you and I both, we're both runners. We both have fitness in our life and a fitness routine. Um, it's more fun to work out with somebody than to work out by yourself. Yeah. And oftentimes, 
as you work out with somebody, you start to talk about your workouts after the fact. You start to reflect on, oh man, that was a tough one, or oh, I really got this out of that. Mm -hmm. Same thing. And when I did that with some seminary friends and then some clergy in the first in the Diocese of Georgia where I started, I really did notice how eclectic the reflections were on that habit of daily prayer. Yeah. Uh, We were using tools like this, like we're using now Zoom and these pandemic tools Mm -hmm. to gather uh, back in the day to to pray together. Uh, And it was powerful. Yeah. Uh, But there is something to be said. Individual is great. There's nothing wrong with that. If you just have the opportunity to say the daily office with one or more other people, it Mm -hmm. might be interesting to reflect with them on what they experienced. That's great. I, we haven't done that before, but I think maybe we will. I don't know. It, it might, it might just, it might just help people, especially going back to that whole shaming comment. I think that whole shame comment that we do to ourselves, you know, Brene, oh, Brene yeah. Brown talks about how well we can shame one another. But I think when you're worried, if you're thinking, okay, I'm clearly not living, let's say people in the church of the incarnation or people here at St. Luke's who think you and I, you know, as people often do with clergy, think we're like the most perfect prayer people. Right. And they're sitting out there in our pews and thinking, gosh, if I could just pray as good as Justin or pray as good as Bryn, then maybe I'd just be, my life would be a little bit better. No. Why don't you come and let's have a conversation about how prayer shaped my life and my struggles with it? Mm-hmm. Because your road and my road are going to be completely different. Yeah. You know, we'll get to all this later. The difference the differences of calls, but being a priest doesn't make us more holier than a lay person. No. Um, and we try to pattern our lives and go through the same struggles that a lay person does. Uh, yeah, doesn't make absolutely. us any different. So I think that that helps combat when you reflect with a group, it combats shame. So hopefully if you're sitting in that group and you're somebody who feels like you're struggling with your prayer life, then you'll hear somebody go, gosh, because this happened to me. Somebody would go, I haven't done that in six months. And you're like, oh, I'm not as crazy as I thought. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> it, it helps. So I, I think in our in our culture, in our day and age, whatever we can do to realize that we're not alone, that we're, we are human beings, we are similar. We talked about this with the scripture when we were talking about the Bible readings. Some of what you read out of the Bible is you realize, oh, King David wasn't so dissimilar from me. He had the same struggles I did. He wasn't some holier than thou character in scripture. Peter wasn't some holier than thou. Sure. He is St. Peter, and he definitely modeled a fashion of life, but he also had struggles that I had. So well, the more we can communicate with one another and do things in community, as, as it, its time permits, it, it helps us. I think it only heightens the individual journey and discipleship that goes on. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I hope you don't have all the same struggles of David, though, because if you read... If you read that whole story, man. Well, and if I things with King David there, so my wife might have an issue with a couple of those stories. She might have some issues. I think you'd have to go talk to the bishop about that one. Yeah, yeah, that would not go over <laughs> well. We don't. Yeah, that's a great example of how we don't take the Old Testament. We don't apply it literally. Yeah, I'm not running around with five thousand different spouses uh, right nope, now. Nope, that's a that's a good thing. The one I have, I'm pretty sure would murder me. Yeah. Um, we did, uh, just for a little anecdote about the daily office, we did, uh, you know, we 
we talked a couple of weeks ago about um, collects and prayers and thanksgivings and that there's kind of a prayer for everything in there. Um, when we were praying this morning, my, my son said, is there a prayer for a driving test? <laughs> I said, I don't know. Let's uh, probably not for that in particular. We found uh, the prayer for quiet confidence. That was a, that was a good one. Um, uh, the prayer for young persons, that was a good one. Um, but he looked up online and found uh, a prayer for um, parallel parking. And the prayer for parallel parking said, Dear Lord, I pray that I never have to parallel park. <laughs> I thought it would say nowadays, I thought it would say. There, but, uh, but we can always find, uh, we can always find something. We look hard enough. We should amend that prayer to say, Dear Lord, Please don't ever let me have to parallel park. But if I do, please give me one of those cars that I just hit the button and automatically parallel parks for me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, and I guess you just got me thinking about the prayer for guidance. Um, that can be a good prayer in those mm-hmm. kind of moments. Yep. Well, I tell you what, folks, this has been a great conversation, Bryn. And like you said earlier, next week we're going to pick up uh, for the next several episodes, we're going to pick mm-hmm. up and walk through one episode. We'll focus on morning prayer. Yep. One episode, we're going to focus on evening prayer. And then we're going to dive into Compline, daily devotions, noonday prayer to kind of in the next several weeks, give you a full arc of the daily office and what it, uh, what it looks like and, and how it um, kind of how it flows um, in each individual <laughs> for the sake of podcast language in each individual episode of the daily office in the prayer book. Uh, That's right. We'll go through, we'll walk through those individually. So we look forward to seeing you next week until then practice some prayer, read some scripture, open the, open the prayer book, email us, talk to us, have fun. Don't do anything Bryn wouldn't do. <laughs> All righty guys, until next time we will have a great uh, great rest of your week. Thank you.